This friendship between David and Jonathan. It's one of the best examples in all the Bible of people that are best friends. People who love one another. Best example of what all of us long for. Close, loyal, committed friendships. So kids, on the cover of your notes this morning, there's a picture of Jonathan and David. And I'd like you to go ahead and color that in as I start talking this morning about the two different men. Now, Jonathan's father was King Saul. I talked about him last week. And King Saul was the first king over Israel. Israel had leaders before that. They were called judges. But they said, hey, we want a king. And so God said, okay, you can have a king. His name was Saul. So when Saul became king, his firstborn son, Jonathan, man, he all of a sudden had a life change like you can't imagine. All of a sudden, he was the crown prince. All of a sudden, whatever his life was like before, from that moment on, he was first in line to become king one day. Now, that's a big life change. And he was probably looking forward to being king and just basking in this idea that he was now royalty. But all of that changed when two people showed up. One, a very tall man named Goliath. And two, a very young man named David. And the whole account is in the Bible. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'll read portions of it, but I'll paraphrase portions of what happened this morning. King Saul had an army made up of the Israelites. They gathered on one side of a hill. The Philistines, who were their enemies, had an army, and they gathered on another hill like this, facing one another with a valley in the middle. Which army was stronger? Where the Philistines had a man advantage. And that man's name was Goliath. Let me read you about Goliath. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks. He would come out of the Philistine army to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. That's a big guy. That's a very big guy. There must have been something happening with the pituitary. I'm not sure, but over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet a 200-pound coat of mail. So he wasn't just tall, he was very strong. Bronze leggings, and he carried a bronze javelin several inches thick, tipped with a 25-pound iron spearhead. Now, I'd have a hard time lifting it up. He could not only lift it up, he could throw it at people. And his armor-bearer walked ahead of him with a huge shield, and so every day for 40 days, Goliath would walk out in, into the valley and he would talk trash to the people of Israel. He would challenge them. He would say, send me a man who'll fight me one-on-one, -on -one, mano y mano, and whoever wins, then the army wins, the other army has to surrender. We'll just settle this with one-on-one -on -one combat. He said it this way, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. 
And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, that's not good. If you're the new king, Saul, you shouldn't be hiding in your tent. It's not good for morale. You shouldn't be hiding while somebody says, send me a man. And if you're the son of that king, if you're the crown prince, you're in the, the, the most uh, virile part of your life, maybe in your early 20s, strong and ready to fight, and you're hiding in your tent every day, that's not good. So every day I can imagine when the Philistine would say, send me a man, everyone in Israel would look towards the tent of Jonathan. Well, Jonathan, don't you hear him? Aren't you the crown prince? Aren't you next in line? Don't you hear him? Why aren't you out there fighting? But he never did. He didn't have that thing inside that was brave enough to take on Goliath. It went on for 40 days. Goliath every day is saying, you're a bunch of cowards, you're gutless. And that's hard for any man to hear. But it's especially hard for someone who's supposed to be the king one day to hear. Well, then shows up David. David's a teenager. His dad says to him, go to where the armies are because your brothers are there. Bring this food to them so they can have something to eat. So David, a teenager, goes to where these armies are lined up yelling at each other. He's got food for his brothers. And while he's there, he hears Goliath, send me a man to fight. And he looks over and nobody's going to fight him. So this teenage boy says, forget that. I'll fight him. And his brother said, oh, be quiet. You're just proud. You can't fight anybody. He goes, no, he can't say stuff like that. I'll fight him. Finally, they bring David to King Saul. And Saul says, you're just a little guy. And David said, I may be little, but I've already killed wild animals. I'm brave. I'm not afraid. Send me out to that big mouth guy. And so Saul says, okay, looking around with no other options. <laughs> He's not going. David, well, I guess go get him. And he said, the Lord be with you. And the Lord was with him. And he defeated Goliath in one-on-one -on -one combat. Kids, open up your notes. On the left-hand side of the first page is a picture of, of David and Goliath in this great battle. So David wins. And after he wins, the people go nuts. David, you're the man. David, yay, David, D-A-V-I, David. They're cheering. They're yelling. They even make up a song. It says, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. There's like the number one hit going around. David's the man. He, he defeats everybody, and he gets cheers. But no one's cheering for Jonathan because Jonathan didn't have what it took, and nobody did, to fight Goliath. David had won a great battle, but Jonathan's battle just got started. What was Jonathan's battle? He had to battle with something in here. He had to battle with jealousy and envy. How do I know that? I know that because everyone in this room and everyone at home battles at some time in life with envy and jealousy. We all do. We envy those who get the assignment that we wanted. We envy those who get the promotion that we sought. 
We envy those whose talents seem better than ours, whose families seem more functional than ours. We envy those whose personalities glisten and whose gifts sparkle in comparison to ours. We're all tempted to do that. It starts in school, doesn't it? They take 30 of us that are the same age and stick us in a classroom. And they do that for 12 years, so I know instantly in the classroom how I compare to everybody else sitting there. I think this is the worst way to do education, if you ask me. I have to be surrounded by my peers every day for 12 years, so I know instantly he's cooler than me. Uh, he's better at football. Everyone likes him. No one likes him. I'm in the middle. I don't fit. And we're constantly having to do this. I don't have to do that as a grown man. I don't sit around 30 other preachers all day and have to, you know, where do I fit in? And boy, he's a better preacher than me, and he's younger, and he's taller. And he, but kids have to do that growing up, and it carries over into adulthood. And when we're tempted to em envy others, if we don't challenge that thing, we wind up becoming people that we never wanted to become. We wind up being somebody that we shouldn't be. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 says, Love does not envy. Actually, love and envy are opposed to one another. Because envy starts with desiring what another person has. At first, it's about a thing they have, but it always grows to being resentful, not just what they have, but of the person who has it. And at that point, it gets very personal. Not about a thing, but about the person who has the thing. Dorothy Sayers wrote this, Envy begins by asking plausibly, Why should I not enjoy what others enjoy? But it always ends by demanding, Why should others enjoy what I don't? It starts to turn on them. It prevents us from loving others, makes us resentful of others. And it does something else. It steals our joy. Proverbs 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I love that description. It rots the bones. It can kill your joy, your hope, your peace, your capacity to love. Envy can kill your faith and the sense of nearness to Christ. It can kill your will to believe, your motivation to obey. Because ultimately, somebody else will always do more, do it faster, do it better, do it greater, do it with more recognition and praise. That's life. And yet that can't steal from you the joy you have in living today. Over 2,000 years ago, a Roman named Mutius was famous in Rome for envying other people. And one day, he was observed to be very sad, very sad, oh, you know, depressed. And somebody else said this about him when they saw him depressed. Either some great evil has happened to him, or some great good has happened to somebody else. You see, the envy is, envious person has the double whammy. <laughs> Not only does he have to deal with all this bad stuff that happens that steal joy, but his joy is also lost when he sees somebody doing well. Oh, that guy, he's, he, he's got more than I got. I, I'm not happy about it. Well, when are you ever going to be happy then? 
It has to be challenged. Envy has to be dealt with if we're going to have the joy that God wants us to live, to be free in this life, to be who we are, and enjoy how God made us. So the story of Jonathan is going to give us four things, and I call them the four R's of overcoming envy. Jonathan must have been tempted to envy David, but instead he becomes his best friend. How do you do that? How do you go from, you know, you got what I wanted and everyone's cheering you to, no, man, you and I, you and I are best friends. He did it. Let's see how he did it. Let's see how we can do it today. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. After David finished talking with Saul, this is after he won that great battle, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Wow. And he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David, an agreement like you and I are BFF, okay? You and I are best friends forever. I want you to know, man, that I got your back. I want you to know that you'll never have a friend as close as I am with you. With David, because he loved him as himself. Now, if you think that was automatic, then you're attributing to Jonathan some superhuman quality that wasn't there. I can assure you that feeling of love for somebody is not automatic, especially if envy is growing. Uh, I can assure you that if you're at work and that guy got promoted to be the vice president and you didn't get it, uh, then your first feeling is not going to be, man, I love you like I love myself, and, and uh, let's make a covenant to be best friends forever. Your first feeling is, oh, man, I got ripped off, and he got it, and I should have, and, and, uh, and, and you're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to see how petty it is, how wrong it is, and how unloving it is. You're going to have to have a battle on the inside where you change the way you think so that you can change the way you feel. And that's the first step that Jonathan must have taken behind the scenes when he felt these feelings of envy was to repent. He had to first repent of how He was thinking and start thinking differently. We've learned here many times on Sunday morning what the word repent means. Uh, It comes from a Greek word that means metanoia. Meta, change. Noia, mind. We think of repentance as changing behavior. I'm going to behave differently. No, that, that happens later. You can't change your behavior until you change your mind. The mind changes first. So there has to be a place where you realize, you know what, this is just wrong that I'm feeling this about somebody. I shouldn't feel this about him. Why am I angry at him? Why am I mad at him? Why aren't I happy for him? God, I want to be a loving person. And Lord, I realize that this is holding me back. And so Lord, I'm going to live different. I'm going to choose to think about this differently. And God, if I have to battle this for a week or a month, whatever it takes, I'm going to do it until I can finally, at the end of the matter, love that person instead of feeling awkward and, and envious of that person. And that's what Jonathan did. He first dealt with something on the inside. But then he took another step, and that is found in verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David. 
Kids, go ahead and look at the picture on the inside of your notes on the right-hand side and color this in. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David. David, you just won a great victory. You know what? You should be wearing this robe. <laughs> this is the prince's robe, but you're the one acting like the prince. I didn't, so I want to give this to you. Let you know that, that I, I appreciate what you did. I honor what you did. And then, you know what? Take my sword, too. Take it. You deserve it, too. And my bow. And my belt. You know what he's doing? He's celebrating the other person being cheered. David's being cheered, and Jonathan could have sit in the back and just, I, I, I just, I, you could have seen it on his face. I hate that guy. He guy just one day I'll be, and he's not. Instead, he dealt with the feeling, and then he said, You know what? I'm going to join in the celebration. <laughs> I'll tell you how I'm going to deal with envy. I'm going to celebrate. David. So he's David. Here, man, take my robe. Take my sword. You're the man. I want to honor what you have done. I was thinking about this. Suppose you're on a football team. And then uh, at the end of the year celebration, uh, they're going to give an award for the most outstanding player, the MVP. And you're thinking you are the MVP. <laughs> Because you had a great season, you did real well, and so you're waiting for your name to be called most valuable player for this year, Gary Beasley, and you've worked hard, and you've, you should get it. And so they announce most valuable player, Dustin Dolacek. And everybody's standing and cheering, and you got a choice to make. You can have your bitter beer face and walk out the back and, and talk bad about him and everybody. Or you can say, you know what, that's just petty and wrong. Dustin did a great job this year. And you can stand with him. And if the feelings of envy don't go away, get over there and give him your belt and your sword and your coat or whatever. Rejoice with him until the feelings go away. And see, so you're not a slave or a victim to that green monster anymore. He chose to rejoice, to rejoice, to repent, to think differently. Envy is petty, and it's wrong, and it's not loving. And then he chose to rejoice. I'm going to celebrate with you what's happening in your life. We're told that in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice. Victory over any sin, including envy, requires putting off and then putting on a decision to be happy for another person. And Jonathan did that. Now, their lives are linked together, Jonathan and David. But some more stuff happens. Saul, Jonathan's father, isn't like Jonathan. Saul doesn't deal with envy. He feeds envy. He, every time he hears the song about David, it makes him more angry and more angry and more bitter. You know, he's the king. Enjoy being the king. I don't think he enjoys it one moment. Not for one moment. Because you can't when you're feeling jealousy towards others. You can't enjoy anything you already have. He tries to kill David several times. But Jonathan won't let it happen. One occasion he goes to see David in 1 Samuel chapter 23. After Saul, his father, has been chasing David around trying to kill him again. It says, 
So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. I'm going to protect you. You shall be king, speaking to David. You shall be king over Israel, and I'll be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. You mean Jonathan knows that this guy David is going to be king one day? Well, if that's true, then Jonathan's never going to be king. Who would not want to be king? Every movie I've ever seen about being king makes me realize they have perks. Kings have big-time perks. We're talking money and lots of other stuff. And so if I found out that you're going to be king one day, and it's my right, I'm the son of the king, but God says no to me. He says, no, I don't have that for you. I want him to be king. What am I going to do with that? Here's what he did. He resolved to accept God's will. Well, Lord, if that's what you want for, for me not to be king, if you want someone else to be king, then I trust you, God. I trust that you know what's best. I trust that it's best for me not to be king. I trust that you know who is the best person to be king. And Lord, that's okay with me. It's okay with me that you choose that for me. Because at the root, envy is mistrust against God. If you think about it, because it's God who's doing these things. And if we're disappointed that we don't have bigger, better, prettier, then we're tempted to blame God for it. But let me tell you something about God. Uh, he's been God for a long time. He's going to be God for a long time. He is all wise and all knowing, and he loves you. And he knows what's best for you. I used to wonder why all the time. God, why? I would see other people as I grew up who had functional families. My father was an alcoholic. And I'd go visit my friends' houses and, and their families, and they had this almost this leave-it-to-beaver kind of family with mom and dad and, and all of that, and, and I didn't have that. And, and there was this, oh, how, come I, how come I got the raw end of this, you know, the deal, and how come? And I wish I... But I've learned over the years that one of the reasons I went through that was so I would develop compassion for people who go through things that are not perfect in life. God had that for me rather than the other. God said, Gary, I've got something very special for you. I'm going to let you learn what it is to have compassion and empathy for other people who go through things. That's my calling for you in life. Okay. Thank you, Lord. I wonder how come I had to be tall and skinny. Now, you might want to be tall. You think it's cool, but not when you're 16 and you're six foot three and 148 pounds. Okay, it's not the coolest thing ever. I kept wondering, how come I can't be like those guys like that? How come I'm tall and skinny? How come I get beat up and they're the ones that beat me up? How come? How come, God? 
And as I look back in life, I realize that God used all of that to bring about his will in my life. He knew what was best for me. He knew that I would come out of these trials. He knew what they would produce in my life, character, he, all of that. There has to be a place in life where we trust that if God chooses something for us, it's okay. He's going to bring good out of it because he loves me. What does God promise every Christian? Eternal life, joy in his presence. And that is enough for me. So Jonathan repented. I'm not going to have this jealousy eat me up. That's just wrong. He rejoiced. David, I'm just happy for you. He resolved, it's okay if I'm not king. It's okay that God chose somebody else. God must have something different for me. God must have something for me that's special with my personality, and, and, and it's gonna, he's going to allow it to work good in my life later on. But that doesn't mean he sat around and said, well, I can't be king, so I'm not going to do anything. That wasn't Jonathan. He couldn't kill Goliath, but he could do some stuff. Let me read you some things that he did in his life. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And this happened before the Goliath story. Then the men of the garrison, these are Philistines, called out to Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they said, come up to us and we'll show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. This was another battle that took place before the thing with Goliath. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell. He fought these Philistines all by himself before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. The first battle in which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, he was able to defeat and kill 20 men all by himself, all by himself, one on 20, and he won. And kids, that picture is on the back of your notes as well. You know, it's true I can't be a Goliath killer. It's true God chose somebody else to be king. That doesn't mean God didn't choose something great for me. Lord, what am I supposed to do in life? Uh, God, who am I supposed to be? What kind of things am I supposed to do? I'm going to focus on that, not on him, not on what he's doing, but on what I'm going to do, what you've called me to do. And I'm going to live a life of fulfillment and joy because of who you've called me to be and what you've given me to do. So, there's a lot of things you aren't. Am I right? Uh, I don't think you have the biggest house in town. Is that true? I don't think you have the biggest bank account. In, is that true? You might not be the prettiest girl, though I'm looking around and there's just beauty everywhere. You might not be the strongest, toughest big man on campus either. You might not be the boss at work. And you can spend your life mad about that, upset at that, and upset at the person who gets to be those things. Or you can say, I'm not going there. Lord, that's wrong. I'm going to rejoice with them. I'm so glad you got that nice house. That's what I'm, brother, thank God you have that. Show me around. This is wonderful. I rejoice that you have that. And Lord, 
It's okay that I'm not going to have these things. That's all right. But Lord, what, what am I going to do? What do you want me to do? Well, the house I have, I'm going to fix it up, make it real nice. I'm going to put a garden out back. And Lord, the gifts and talents I have, I'm going to use them wherever you want me to and do what you want me to do in life. And therein lies the joy and the fulfillment of overcoming envy. Amen?